Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Ty Sharma Nethrin, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am Will. I'm Sam. And we are here slogging along. Yes, sir. Yeah, into the crown of swords. I'm excited to hear from Sam on this episode. We're starting off in uh, looks like chapter seven. I indeed. Chapter seven, pitfalls and tripwires. So as Will has mentioned in past episodes, whilst we slog, we will we'll take some bullets for you. You know, we'll say (laughs) for a given chapter, you should read it. Maybe you should skim it or you can just outright skip it. It's okay. We will be the ones to uh, to to slog through, and then we'll give you our recommendation. So, chapter seven, pitfalls and tripwires. We're gonna say, I'm gonna say, read this chapter, if mm-hmm. only because it's a Rand perspective. Maybe I'm biased. I like Rand. I know that, I know that yeah. there are those out there who really don't like him, and I understand that. You know, he's a bit of a MacGuffin sometimes. He, you know, you could make an argument for like a Marty Stew, I guess. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. But I like him. I, I, I think that um, I like the character arc. I like the, you know, the power growth. Just like I like a Goku. You know, I, I don't sure. make any excuse. I like Goku. I like Superman. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. I like Rand. And there are not <laughs> many Rand perspectives in this particular book. Um, and mm. so this is one. Yeah, Rand is full of Sidine and also thinking he can't trust anybody again, um, especially not Aes Sedai, given what happened at Dumai's Wells. Can't blame mm-hmm. him. Uh, Luz Theron is screaming in his head that he needs to kill all the Ashaman because men who could channel have broken the world before. True story. And at this point, Rand addresses him directly and says, oh, what about me? I can channel. How, how are you and I different from them? And the voice in his head, Luz Theron asks, are you real? And then he says he's damned and <laughs> Rand mutes the raving voice, um, which is something he learned how to do while he was in the chest at Dumai's Wells. He can just kind of make it to a buzz. Click that little mute button down <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> right. Turns into a, just a buzzing fly in his ear or something. So Sulin breaks in and asks Rand if he's okay. <laughs> Rand said, I was you thinking. <laughs> yeah, right, man. Uh, I was like, I was thinking and sometimes do that too much. So they're in a room with 20 maidens, three of the Yashaman on opposite sides of the room from each other. Yashaman here are Jonin Adley, Eben Hopwell, and Fedwin Moore. Uh, we get a little description of each and, as usual, have no idea whether or not we should care. <laughs> Plenty of those in this book. Lots of description of characters. Right. And it's like, is this a new character that's going to be really important? As there are at least two huge characters introduced in this book that we'll get into later. And, right. like, and I was just like, when I, I was listening to, to it the other day, uh, and when I got to the chapter, like, oh, my goodness, that character's in this book. It made me excited again. But as a yeah. first-time reader, you have no idea who those exactly. characters are. I mean, you might have a hint, but um, you, right. you certainly wouldn't know the Ashaman that are important. And right. there are some that will be, and there are lots of them that are. <laughs> well, and as we've talked about the last few episodes, this does go towards our philosophy of spoilers, where mm-hmm. I, I find it helpful if somebody says, hey, pay attention to this character. Yeah, sure. N- nothing else, nothing else. But, yeah, you know, sure, yeah. we, we do say that on occasion. And if you find that to be spoilery, that that's part of kind of what we do mm-hmm. in, in and and that being said, these three Ashaman, I have no idea if they're important or not. <laughs> I can't remember. It's been long enough since I read the books. You don't have to worry about me spoiling you because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly don't either, which I'm probably means. At names and I'm like, I 
like, and I'm like trying to remember, you know, I know that there are a few later that definitely I'm like trying to remember which ones are the ones that are important. It's like, I think I remember, but I may be wrong. So I'm just going to like move on and forget yeah. about it. Yeah. It's kind of nice. It's like I'm reading it for the first time in some ways. Yeah. It's, it's kind of good to have an awful memory sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, every day is a new day to some degree. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so Rand says, you know, I don't intend to spend all night here while you lot play kiss the daisies whatever, whatever kiss the daisies is <laughs> maybe he just made that up i don't know and he opens a gateway to camelin um i think maybe they're in kyrian at this point they're in one or the other i guess so and the first thing he notices in camelin when he steps through is that alana is less of a presence in his head the order bond is weaker over long distances though you can still sense what general direction she's in this is the water bond is so weird you know right like they they're there are times he can tell specific emotions. It's not quite telepathy. It's more like empathy, I guess, uh, yeah. but like dialed up. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know a lot of people, fans of Jordan, like myself, you know, we, one of the things that we all like about it is how the magic system is much more hard than rather than soft. But yes. there are, it, you know, we're kind of fooling ourselves into thinking that there's aren't times where the magic kind of does what it needs to do. And no. I feel like the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the sure. war Bond is one of those examples of gives enough information for whatever is needed at that moment, but not more than is is needed. Right. And maybe to the point of being inconsistent sometimes. Maybe just a little. Not, <laughs> not a little, like huge. Not, yeah, hugely. not in a very bothering way, but just sort of in an endearing sort of, oh, sure, you know, hand wavy, like the water bond. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we get into that more in this book, certainly later. Um, that um, is right. just about more about the water bond. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, Ran realizes the maidens are talking amongst themselves loudly about the Ashaman stinking, like literally smelling bad. <laughs> and the Ashaman are not amused, though none of them have seized Sidene yet, at least. And this is concerning that, you know, like the maidens, like, guys, what, ladies, what are you thinking? These guys are like right. just weapons that you've seen them blow people up. Like, it just gets back yeah. to the Aiel general, yeah. no regard for death. And- Right, exactly. <laughs> just, yeah, they, they just don't take anything seriously, I mm-hmm. think, is part of it. And so uh, Rand says, if I can put up foolishness from Maiden, so can you, loud enough so that both groups can hear him. And then he puts on a hooded cloak, has his arms bound behind his back so that he can go into the palace unnoticed, which is really kind of uh, strange or, or jarring that he'd be willing to be bound like this. Uh, yeah. And he's not cool with it. I mean, he's definitely kind of jittery about the whole thing, but he thinks this is the right thing to do so that he's not noticed going in. And also Fedwin, one of the Ashaman, is also bound and not wearing his black coat. So as Rand walks hooded and bound, he's a little angsty. And sure. sure, that's not getting old at all, you know, the angstiness <laughs> of Rand. Mm. And he thinks, thinks, would I know a clear path if I saw one or if I'd been at this so long, I'd think it was a trap. And Luce Theron replies, there are no clear paths, only pitfalls and trip wires and darkness. Jordan says, Luce Theron's snarl sounds sweaty, desperate. <laughs> sweaty sounding snarl. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Sulin leads them into a room, shuts the door. Uh, Rand throws back the hood and Davram Bashir, Bale, Dira, Malane, and Dorinda are there. Uh, pleasantries are exchanged. Fael's mom asks him if he's going to bring the White Tower down on their heads. <laughs> uh, Malane says, bring it on. Let's take him. And uh, Dorinda asks him if he's gonna, what he's going to do about Colivere. 
Bran says, Colavir is taking up farming. The Sun Throne is empty again for Elaine. You know, this is what we're doing here. We're just catching everybody up on what's sure. going on. And also, why are these other people here? Bashir murmurs that you'll understand when you get married. Can't keep nothing from your wife, dude. Bale laughs and says, wives are a great comfort if a man doesn't tell them too much. Dorinda pulls his hair hard, and Melaine stabs him a little with her belt knife. (laughs) (laughs) And so Dira, standing there, observes all this and sort of nods thoughtfully like, yes, hmm, stabbing. This is good. (laughs) Um, So Rand asks if Elaine has arrived yet. Bashir says, nope, but he's heard rumors about an Aes Sedai army in Mirindi or Altera. Maybe she's with them. Uh, You know, this is a big problem with this log, and I mentioned this last episode too and probably will again. We consistently know more than the characters at any given moment. That's just going to be the case for a while, but it does take some of the dramatic tension away. Like, we know where Elaine is. No one else here apparently does. Dira asks Rand if he expects all of them to bend the knee to him as well. Bend the knee. That just makes me think of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Rand says, well, I wouldn't say no if they offered, but if they don't stay and get in my way, I won't go after them. Bale suggests attacking the White Tower. And no one seems to be poo-pooing that idea too loudly. Uh, I mean, you know, fair. They did put Rand in a box, kidnap him. Um, declaration of war wouldn't be right. too much of a stretch. Rand's right. like, listen, uh, we have enough on our plates already without a war against the White Tower. We got to get through this slog, man. <laughs> and that would, yeah. all, that would prolong it <laughs> so much. He's like, don't worry. There's another subplot going on elsewhere. Yeah, that, yeah. we got to get uh, the Queen Kyle in here in a minute. So, you know, we... <laughs> uh, Rand ignores them, studies a map, which he seems to do often. Thinks that Samuel is always best defending, which is a loose there in memory. Which makes him wonder if Lewis Theron ever remembers tending sheep, which is kind of a fun thought. He also wonders where his fat little man Angriel went, which is unfortunate that he seems to have misplaced it in the kidnapping. Jelani brings him wine that tastes like plums, which prompts another Lewis Theron memory of plum orchards across the river from wherever the heck Lewis Theron grew up. Rand tells him to keep his memories to himself. He snarls <laughs> at him. Bashir says that Taim brought a bunch of men to join the ranks of the army who can't channel. Rand doesn't care about armies, even though he should. <laughs> he asks right. about Dylan. Dylan. Dylan says he can find a farm for her too if she claims that she's after the Lion Throne. Bashir is like, nah, she wants Elaine to have it, but others have tried to make her take it. Yeah, lots of political stuff here. Yeah, that, that, yada, that. yada, yada, yada. Glad this was relayed in a few throwaway lines of dialogue instead of chapters of narrative. You know, see, guys, this log could have been much worse. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Rand says that, uh, okay, here's Fedwin. He's an Ashaman. He can bring me messages in Kyrian. So basically, he is a messenger boy. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to take some more Ashaman to Samaradrid and Wyrmon in the, the camp bordering Ilion because they'll need him when they face Samael on the Dorlon Hills. The Cliffs of Dover. Yeah, there you go. Bale says, oh, oh, does this mean we get to fight? And Rand's like, yeah. Bale asks if the Aiel can take the fifth in Ilian. Rand says, yep. But he's thinking about Elaine, hoping that will bring her quickly to Camelin before Camelin and Kyrian both blow up in his face, which is distinctly possible. So a lot happened in that chapter. Some of it was interesting. Some of it was annoying, but you should still read it. You know? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. On to chapter eight, the figurehead. I'm going to call this a skim. I have a lot of these skimmers. You know, yeah, it's, I agree. You know, it's it's... I don't want it to seem like I'm saying skim every Egwene chapter. 
It's unfortunate. I mean, I like the character. I really do. It's right. unfortunate that so much of her narrative right now is wrapped up in really annoying Aes Sedai politicking. And I right. think if you could sum up the slog in like one problem, it's Aes Sedai politicking. You know, it's like just, you know, going around the room and everybody having their say and we don't care about any of them. And and granted, this is just barely getting into it in this chapter, but we get into it hardcore later. And it's like, I think I'm just shell-shocked by it a little bit still, <laughs> like know what's coming, you know, and sort of thing. Uh, yeah. so. I don't know. Once once we get done with the slog, I think we should rank all the subplots that happen in the slog. Sure, sure. That's a good point, because there are some that are real annoying, uh, and this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. And and it's debatable when the slog is over, um, but we will we will get there um, mm-hmm. and we will have that conversation. We will slog all the way through, ladies and gentlemen. We are here for you. It's true. <laughs> and, you know, and as I've said, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm like, yeah. uh, you know, even in the sloggiest part of the slog, I'm on my commute. I'm listening to the audio book. I'm enjoying it. It's true. Yeah, I may I may listen to it on like one point five or two times, but yeah, um, I I think I said this before. But the first time through, I was not aware that this was supposed to be the slog. Right, right. Um, You just hear about it from other people, like, oh yeah, I I gave up in the middle of book nine. Like, oh come on, man, you were almost there. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like at the end of the day, it's still Robert Jordan. It's kind of like starting in season, like season five of West Wing. Like, yeah, okay, it's not Sorkin anymore, but it's still West Wing. It's still good TV. Yeah, there <laughs> that's, you what go. that's what we're watching right now, West Wing. Oh, yeah. okay. I was like, where did that come from? But that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's there's a lot of examples you can get. Like, you know, season four of Buffy. I mean, like, right, sure, right. it's not as good as as the previous three seasons, but you know, it's still Buffy. Yeah, um, exactly. Still the characters you know and love. Right. Most of them, anyway. So, yeah. Egwene perspective and the figure figurehead. We can all sort of guess what that what the chapter title means. I think, right? Uh, and she wouldn't be pleased with it, but depending on the day, it may or may not be apt. Um, so, Egwene tells Shiriam that the army must stop for a day because everyone is running short on food. Shiriam says, "Well, it'd be better to stay four or five days because you know if Egwene says zig, she says zag. That's the key here." Nope, Egwene knows that if she gives the sitters any excuse, they won't start moving again because they really don't want to march towards the White Tower right now. They don't really know what they want, but they're still not super cool with going to war with Elida. Just still not quite what they right. like to do. Not their favorite. They'd like to rather have a barbecue. I don't know. Just stop <laughs> and have a barbecue. If they stay any longer, they'll strip the countryside bare, which is a good point. It's a big army, you know. So they're reviewing reports on anything from the number of candles and beans in the camp to the state of the horses, which is kind of fun. Like, who's writing these reports? Some clerk somewhere like, we have extra, we have 15,000 cans of beans. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I want to hear that guy's story. I want that perspective chapter. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe he's is sloppy, a, but... <laughs> a literal bean counter. <laughs> I mean, like, I do think it is, it should be noted. Lots of important things to note in this chapter. Very important. Chesa, who is one of the maids, tells Egwene that the other new maid, Salame, will work out well. Mary and I will settle, settle her down soon enough, to which Shiriam rolls her eyes. Man, this is some good stuff here. Golly, this is intense. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we talking about the maids? Why? Yeah. Oh, man. Egwene puts on the Adam bracelet, Adam bracelet, and Mogedian's emotions flood into her mind. Not unlike the water bond, I guess. Uh, makes Egwene think of the consequences if anyone found out about Mogedian. 
And Shiriam remarks that, hey, that bracelet looks like something Elaine and Nynaeve wore. Uh-oh. Egoine says, oh, yeah, it was a, a remembrance gift when they left for Ibu Dar. Like, you know, friendship bracelet. <laughs> Whatever. Sure. Okay. Sure you enough. Are, you know, you're still wearing your hair and pigtails, I guess. And she redirects and asks Shiriam why 10 sisters left Salidar a few days ago after Swan and Liana arrived. Two from each Aja except the blue. Where'd they go and why? And Shiriam starts stammering and Egoine says, no. Whole truth right now. Right. Shiriam notices Chesa and says, uh, when we're alone, and Egwene calls her bluff, sends Chesa out. Shiriam says, okay, fine. Elida had been asking sisters to return to the tower, so we sent Ten to make sure everyone in the tower understands the truth of what the Red Red Aja did to Loghain. The Howl doesn't know we did it. (laughs) So Egwene's like, why didn't you tell the Hall? You know, why they're not going to betray you to Elida. And Swan says, it's because of the Black Aja, isn't it? That which is true. And then uh, Gwen feels a stab of pain and realizes that Mogedian has been freed from the Idom. Uh oh. Uh, no also, it was a man who did it because, you know, if a man touches an Idom, it hurts. A man who can channel, that is, um, because reasons, you know, it's your Angrio. You know, I, w- I just want to point out that this, we are eight chapters in now, and yeah. this is actually the, the last event in this book that actually took place in the last book. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, like, that's how much we're we're like retracing our steps. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Wow. Yeah, because we saw this from Mogedian's perspective at the um, in the uh, like epilogue of the previous book. And so we are just now getting kind of all the way caught up. And oh, that's a good point. I'd forgotten that it happened in the epilogue of the last book. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. That's crazy. That's like bad planning or something. As as you've said, it's just kind of it's part of the thing with the slog where yeah, we're kind of up slowly uh, yeah. having to play catch up a lot. But anyway, so Egwene says, I need some fresh air and just runs out. She goes to Mogedian's tent, finds it empty, tells Chesa that Mary Gunn has run away. And Chesa says that wicked woman, she had a mean mouth and a sneaking eye. Egwene tells her to find Swan and Liana and Tell him to come to Egwene and tell nobody else. I don't tell anybody else. So, chapter nine, a pair of silver pike. Gotta love those swan fishing references. Yes. We'll call this a skim. You know, some of these could be skips. I don't know. I just just tend to default to skim. Like, sure. Just like read a few sentences at the top of each page. If it interests you, continue. Otherwise, skip to the next page. Maybe check out the wiki to make sure you didn't miss anything important. But here to tell you you're not going to <laughs> so <laughs> swan comes into a glance sentence like what the heck man you had shiriam on the ropes and you just walked away she's she went to scheming with anaya and morverin and all them to figure out how to outmaneuver you then liana shows up and says swan and i shouldn't be seen together because everyone thinks we hate each other and we need to keep it that way and of course swan and liana are no longer bound by the three oats but no one bothered to check, so they are, key, are using their ability to lie as an advantage. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Egwene weaves a ward against listening and says, I don't care. Mo get in, get away. And a male forsaken released her. So Liana says, dang it, we should have turned her over to the hall the moment Nynaeve captured her. Nothing she taught us about the power is worth loosing her on the world again, especially now that she's got our number. Egwene says, okay, well, I need you to ask around and find out if anyone saw a man enter her tent. Swan says, it's probably a useless barrel of fish guts. The most useless barrel of fish guts she ever heard. Useless barrel of fish guts. Yeah, okay. I guess fish guts are only <laughs> useful 
or like fish bait. I don't know. Then apologizes when she remembers Egwene is Amerlind and she isn't Amerlin. Swan suggests that Egwene sends Swan or Lyanna to tell Feolaine and Theodrin to instead do it since everyone knows Egwene was responsible for the two of them being raised to full sisters. Sure. Okay. Oh, that was exhausting to say. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Swan says, you should have been harsher with me for mouthing off. Nobody talks to the Amberlin like that. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Uh, <laughs> Egwene says, yeah, okay. I remember that. Do you want me to intervene with Gareth Brynn on your behalf? Swan says, no, butt out in so many words. I have a debt and I'll work it off. Also, I think he's hot in a weird way. Uh, doesn't say that. Those are my words. Queen <laughs> sends Swan off the bed and rushes out herself before Salam. One of the maids can come in to dress her. I feel like um, Gareth Brynn has to be one one of these like really good looking older dudes. Yeah, sure, Cl- Clooney esque. Well, there needs to be like a a thing on online later where everybody's talking about him being daddy or whatever. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need we need a correctly cast Gareth Brynn. Certainly, yes. he better not. He better. He better not be like 45 you know he needs to be in his like mid 60s probably and, yeah and a little bit worse for wear but still a heart of gold and you know maybe mm-hmm. a good chin i don't know yes absolutely like yeah i kind of vacillate between expecting everyone to be like a you know a cw show where everyone's pretty and not just based on some of these descriptions <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway she passes by a place where gateways are opening and closing the Aes Sedai have a system of going back to Salidar each night via skimming to check for messages and returning to camp by gateway and skimming is still weird you know the fact right. that you're sailing along in something like Teleriniad on a disc or a barge or whatever with a bottomless pit underneath you and at one point I think later Egwene says something like well if I fell off I could just recreate my barge like what? What? Yeah. What? Okay. Anyway. Uh, so Shiriam shows Egwene a note from Marana a few days ago. Says Rand is courteous, but afraid of them. They'll avoid the Ashaman. Oh, they found Varen and Alana with the novices. Shiriam says, it's all good. Marana knows what she's doing. Egwene mutters, that's a bucket of horse sweat. <laughs> like that. That's nice. Yeah. That's the best thing about this whole paragraph, really. Uh, <laughs> she thinks it's weird that Marana hasn't responded since that message. Maybe the best thing would be for her to go see Rand. And Liana speaks up from the shadows, like weirdly following her and says, that's impossible and you know it. So, yeah, apparently it's against tower law for the Amarlin to put herself in harm's way without the hall's permission. Right. And they're not going to give that. Liana also informs her that Theo and Feo are asking around like Egwene wanted, did what she said. Liana says, you should let young Master Althor go as he will while you pluck the goose that's in front of you. <laughs> Egwene, Egwene says, his way leads to the pit of doom. Well, yeah, I mean, not directly, but get there. We got slog first, you know. <laughs> He's going to the pit of doom. Don't worry. She says, I think I might as well go to bed. Liana says, good. I have a man in Bryn's camp who will make a great love uh, <coughs> warder. Uh, <laughs> whoever heard of a green without even one warder, she said, since she's no longer a blue. So after she leaves, Nicola stops Egwene for some quick blackmail. You know, what could go wrong with threatening the Amarillo seat? Perfectly sound plan. She's aided by Arena, a hunter for the horn, who came into town with Nicola. 
at the same time as Nynaeve and company, apparently. For anyone else who has 100% forgotten who she was, I mean, I know she was in previous books. I completely forgot about her, Arena. And you probably also forgot the fact that men actually saw a viewing about Nicola giving trouble later on. I did um, forget that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I pointed that out as like, you know, hey, this is something, anyway. Yeah. That reminds me of reading a uh, Chinese horoscope. It was one of those Chinese things just like about the symbols and pinning on your symbol, like... Um, who you should marry. I remember reading mine and it said something like the sheep will bring trouble. And (laughs) anyway, sheep will bring trouble. So clearly men was correct as she usually is that Nicola's bring trouble. So uh, Nicola is impatient to train more. She wants to go faster, even though she's already progressing fast. And she thinks it's a good idea to tell Egwene that she overheard Nynaeve and Elaine pretending to be Aes Sedai when they were still accepted, which is a big no-no, of course. And this all goes about like what you'd expect. Egwene says, get the heck out of here before I have you both flogged. Jeez, I mean, <laughs> I have a loose forsaken to deal with, and you're coming at me with this amateur hour nonsense. <laughs> Golly. And also, we had to read like two full pages about it. Come on, Jordan. <laughs> um, she realizes it would be bad if they did talk about it, you know, so she doesn't still the fear of the creator in them. So get to your beds before I change my mind. They take off running. And Egwene walks sedately, even though she'd like to run too, because Mogedian could be around. And that's great. <laughs> On to chapter 10, Unseen Eyes. And as usual, this is a skimmer. That's where we're at here. <laughs> we're skimming. Salam, salame, I don't know. One of the maids is waiting for Egwene when she gets back to her tent. And Salami. Hey, Salami. salami, salami, absolutely. Yeah. Salami, salami, and baloney, baloney. <laughs> um, waits for Egwene when she gets back to the tent and makes a show of fussing over. Oh, mother, you went out with your hair uncovered again. You're shivering. You should never go outside with a without a shawl and a parasol. First off, it's hot as Hades outside, even at night. And how on earth is a parasol going to help? This is Egwene's thoughts, not mine. Fair <laughs> questions to ask Egwene. Fair for us to ask too. Salam asks. If she tells her she can keep her skin soft by bathing in ewes milk. Um, <laughs> so that did it. Egwene shoves her out the door and finishes getting ready on her own. Ewes milk? Seriously? You, what? You, yeah. I, I kind of feel like she would also be like, here are all the essential oils that you need to bathe with, too. And. <laughs> everything that she would have like a whole bunch of remedies yeah uh, along these lines sure sure yeah no and she also wants to sell you a sports drink or something right was it plexus i don't know if anybody's a plexus salesperson i i don't apologize and a a tea that will help you lose weight yes yes exactly very true uh and they will blog about it Egwene closes the tent with a smile, puts herself to sleep. Neat trick that. She describes it as basically just a relaxation technique, like relax each part of the body in turn. Kind of like kind of like how the eyes that I ignore the heat not to sweat. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, just ignore the heat. Wonderful. Just put yourself to right. sleep by relaxing each part of your body in turn. Great. I'm, I want to know that trick. Uh, I really I yes. use that. Yeah, that, that, I want that more than like bail fire, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just put yourself to sweep whatever you want. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess there actually are. I think I've read that like, you know, there are that, that's something they teach in, in the military. Maybe some of our listeners can comment on this that like it's not necessarily taught, but it, uh, some of these like special forces guys can like put themselves to sleep in three minutes anywhere they are, you know, like just lay down and go to sleep. And I don't know, I think that'd be a pretty cool thing to learn. Yeah. If anyone has any thoughts on that, we'd love to hear them. So yeah. 
Egwene floats in the starscape between the world of dreams and the waking world where everybody's dreams live. Weird concept, as usual. Mm -hmm. finds Nynaeve's dreams, and she's not sure how that works, and tells Nynaeve to not return unless they find the bowl of winds because of Arena and Nicola, and she needs time to fix the situation before they come back. And also, you know, Mo Gideon escaped, so that's fun. Have a nice time sleeping. Next, she finds Amis' dreams and says she needs to speak with the wise ones. And Amis responds and says, we will come which surprises her a little. Then Egwene notices Gawain's dream speeding toward her and flees to Teleron Riyadh to escape more awful dialogue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Thank you, Egwene, for fleeing to the heart of the stone in tears. I so, love you. Oh, I love you. Dear, I love you. Dear creator. Mm. <laughs> uh, appears in the heart of the stone in the stone of tear. Constantly feels like she's being watched, which is apparently normal in the world of dreams. A little extra scary considering she just let a forsaken get away, you know? Right. Makes her unconsciously change her clothes to a full set of plate and male armor. Then she changes it back to wise one garb. And out loud, she says, Loghain is on his way to the Black Tower. I, <laughs> I tried to write the Dark Tower there. Uh, wrong universe. There are <laughs> other worlds than these. I cry your pardon. Uh, but on the <laughs> other hand, Ka is a wheel. Is Its purpose is to turn. So anyone out there who's, uh, who's listening who also is a fan of the Dark Tower, <laughs> there are parallels here. Billy Bumbler. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Bear says from behind her, why should we, Why should you fear the shadow sold? And Egwene jumps straight up in the air like Bugs Bunny. And they all have a good <laughs> laugh about that. Egwene explains that she recently caused Mogedian some hurt and damaged her pride. Uh, the wise ones sit down in the middle of the chamber near Kalendor. And Egwene's like sort of curious why, but doesn't ask. <clears throat> they always do that, apparently. And Egwene explains how she was elected Amberlin. And Melaine observes that the other Aes Sedai view her as a figurehead. Egwene agrees, says that before the battle is done, they will acknowledge her as their chief. Bear urges her to return to the Wise Ones because she has too much honor for the Aes Sedai bimbos. <laughs> Come check out some dudes in the sweat tent. Make a bridal wreath. Egwene says, no, this is my fight. Ami says, there's G in her decision and wishes her well. Bear asks if Egwene will bring the Aes Sedai to kneel before Rand. Uh, Gwen says, no, that would be like asking you to kneel to a clan chief. And Melaine says, don't compare us to them. Her tone honed like a razor. <laughs> so Bear imagines tea before her and they drink some. It's too bitter for Gwen and she imagines it with a little honey, too sweet. So a touch less and it's Goldilocks. Perfect. <laughs> uh, she muses about how it would be next to impossible to do this with the one power, but how easy it's, it is to do in Teleron Riyadh. She realizes these women are not simply her friends and followers of the Karakarn. Nothing's simple anymore. No one is a simply yeah. anything. Rand is going to give her gray hairs before her time. Tries to ask about Marana, but the wise ones are evasive because they know what's been happening with Dumai's Wells, and I guess they don't really want to talk about that right now. Fair enough. Promise there will be no difficulty between Rand and the Aes Sedai sent to negotiate with him, and we know why, because they've pledged their fealty to him. <laughs> Uh, or they've they've given the you know oath under the light, etc. Egwene asks them to promise to stop Rand from talking to Marana or make her or make her angry enough to do something foolish. And Amis Amis promises in a flat voice. Again, they know it's up. Don't want to thread. Don't want to share common thread in this book where we know more about the perspective characters than about the state of the world than they do about the state of the world. Right. 
as usual. She also asks them not to tell Rand about Egwene becoming Amerlin because she doesn't want him to try to rescue her. And they're more okay with this request because it makes sense to them. Finally, she warns them about being on the lookout for Forsaken and Teleron Riyadh. And Ami says, you know, we're probably as strong as they are here, but, you know, we'll be careful anyway. Which is true. You know, you look at the way right. the Forsaken act, and they're not, like, super great at Teleron Riyadh, other than Landfear. She was, like, really good at it, but the rest of them yeah. are just kind of like, yeah, we, we use it. Uh, and a lot of them go there in person, which is a no-no. Yeah. Uh, so that done, she excuses herself and returns to her body. Cue dream sequence with some nonsense, some foreshadowing, as usual, forks in a road, one with Gawain, one where Gawain marries her, the other not, one fork, a violent death, the other a long life, Gwen, Loghain steps over, his funeral pyre, pyre, Matt watches an illuminator's display, grabs an arrow of fire out of his, yeah, this is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Dark young man holds an object that shines brightly, but she can't see what it is. So that is chapter 10, chapter 11, an oath. This is a skimmer also. And then this is not to be confused with the oath by Frank Peretti. Man, what has that dude been up to? What is he? I haven't heard anything about him in a I, while. I think actually he's still publishing stuff. It's just not getting as much press as sure, it did in the 90s. Sure. Yeah, apparently he published the book in like 2012. So, you know, about as prolific as George R.R. R. Martin, I would yeah, say. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> And he lives in Idaho now. So great. Huh. Well, good for him. Um, Mary, the third servant to the Amarlin, third maid, wakes her up before dawn. She seems to be a bit of a Debbie Downer and also known to be a spy for Romanda. The devil, you know, I guess, or as some Star Wars book or other put it, the hut you have tagged. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that was Darksaber. Um, it was a book about some hut or other building a death star shaped like a lightsaber sure and he they used he the hut used some little furry creatures to build it that were like they were kind of like raccoons i want to say and uh -huh. I, I remember they were like flying the lightsaber death star thing and they tried to shoot an asteroid and it didn't work at all and they just like crashed in the asteroid and blew up <laughs> there was some other complete story in the book that was unrelated anyway I never read Darksaber. Uh, it's not good, but I, you know, this is my problem with Star Wars today is they're not making movies about the crappy 90s novels that I read. Right. <laughs> like Darksaber. Well, hey, not all of them are, are crappy. No, you know. no, absolutely Tim not. Timothy Zahn, of course. Yes, He's Zahn, the, that trilogy should absolutely be made into movies um, or at least adapted in some way. I don't care if it's a cartoon or what, but just to kind of say it's all just legends and not real like oh come on man that's the reason i i don't know it's modern yeah. star wars and me or not i'm not the star wars fan i once was yeah we all we all have to you know deal with that in our own way and i uh, think it was the, the penny arcade guy that said something like you only get one of those kind of like super fanboy things and like he was talking about marvel i'm like i if i had to pick one it would be much more so marvel than star wars these days mm, yeah yeah these days for sure yeah but yeah, yeah I, although they're they're winning me back with the mandalorian i gotta tell you i haven't finished the first season i i need to i enjoyed it and i just never quite finished it i know the second season's coming and uh yeah yeah that does seem like a better adaptation of not adaptation a better story generally than, right than the twins that die or don't and Emperor yeah. going back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, uh, Egwene knows that Mary will be left to starve in the next village if she sent her away. So she's like, all right, fine, whatever, it's fine. Walks to the tent she uses for a study, expecting to find Shiriam, but finds Theodrin and Phelan instead. They came in to report about Merrigan's tent. The only person anyone saw nearby was Halima, who obviously can't channel, so isn't interesting at all to Egwene. So, you know, whatever. Tiana, mistress of novices, told them to go to bed when she saw them out asking around. Theodrin said Tiana wanted to know what they were doing, but they didn't tell her. Failing gets mad and says, I wish I had already held the oath rod so you know I was telling the truth. And Egwene's like, chill out. I believe you. You know, you don't have to say something like that. And then Failing says, I don't like you. <laughs> Wayne's like, geez, man, you didn't have to be that honest. I already said I would believe you. Wow. <laughs> There's just a difference between honesty and blunt rudeness i mean she probably thinks that she doesn't say it i think Egwene is from she's from the south and failing from the <laughs> Bless north your and... heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's like look you can say that just you got to be subtle about yeah. it um, yeah absolutely so theodrin says we didn't attach ourselves to you because we had no choice did it because you're the amerlin amerlin and romando lalane and shiriam shouldn't try to push you around it's not right Failing says, I know you probably don't believe us because we haven't held the oath rod yet. Just keep harping on that. <laughs> Queen says, stop it. Your Aes Sedai, with or without that, we all know how Aes Sedai make the truth dance anyway. So that prompts Theodrin to kneel in front of her and give her personal oath of fealty. Under the light in my hope of salvation and rebirth, yada, yada, yada. Not at all normal to swear an Aes Sedai to... For, for an Aes Sedai to swear personally like this, Amarlin or no, but Faelaine does the same. And also asks for a penance for telling Egwene she doesn't like her. Egwene considers asking her to eat soap, but decides not to. You know, just like, just like me all you like, but keep your oath. Now here's your first task, and we don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that sort of thing. Well, it's it's kind of like, oh, okay, things just got interesting. They said an oath, said an oath, and now she's gonna okay, and now okay. So then, <laughs> the important things that we need to learn that Mary comes in with breakfast and weak tea. <laughs> so Swan Swens sends yeah. a note, and like in, in a lot of these lines, I'm like I'm like paraphrasing paragraphs here. It's like okay, I'm reading, I'm reading, and like I'm skipping trying to find dialogue, and it's just like, what is what am I reading? <laughs> yeah paragraph after paragraph of like rumination about things we already know or mindless descriptions finally some dialogue and it's like what what no that's not important either skip that <laughs> so swan sends a note that says nothing of interest in teleron riyadh so why did robert jordan include it <laughs> after breakfast swan herself enters could have told her in person and had swan a tail she would have been lashing it that's a pretty fun <laughs> line. I like that. Right. Uh, she's mad because Aeldeen is trying to pry the Amerlin's eyes and ears network out of Swan's control. And Egwene assures her it won't happen. Swan says Egwene never had to deal with relative strength and the power compared to others because she's stronger than everybody else other than Nynaeve. And it's hit Swan that everyone is high above her now and she should be holding her tongue around everyone. Egwene's uh, like, that's one thing I want to change. Just like Sora strength in the power shouldn't be the only thing of merit in the tower when it comes to influence and power. Taking a cue from the wise ones there, where you have wise ones that can't channel at all, who are mm -hmm. kind of uh, high up in the pecking order. Right, and with, with good and bad results, I mean, Sora Leah is a good example. Savannah is a bad example of that. Right, <laughs> yeah. So Egwene looks out the tent flap and sees Myrell right up. 
You know, that does, okay, that does uh, bring up a good point, though, because, like, blindly adhering to this, whoever's strongest in the power thing clearly backfires because Elida is one of the strongest before, right. like, of any of Aes Sedai other than Elaine, Egwene, and Nynaeve. And so yeah. it's like, well, great, perfect example right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. If everyone is uh, deferring to Elida, then... Yeah, for how wise, you know, and thoughtful Aes Sedai tend to be, this is some, uh, like, really unusual might makes right kind of bullcrap. Yeah, yeah, it's like middle school stuff. Like, (laughs) just because somebody's stronger, you're going to, like, assume everything they say is right? That doesn't make sense. Come on, folks. So Egwene is right to challenge that. She looks out the tent tent flap and sees Myrell right up. Myrell's like, "Um, hi, Egg, Uh, if you'll forgive me. Egwene says, no, I will not get in here and talk to me right now. Bryn walks up to and says, I'd like to talk to you. Egwene says, can you come back? And she, he says, patrol found something this morning I think you should see. I can send an escort now if you want. Egwene says, nope, you can take me now. We'll go. Myrell, Swan, you come with us. So then Lelaine and Ramonda just pretty much kind of tackle her, ambush, ambush her, metaphorically speaking. They're both mad that Delana has proposed that the tower that the Hall openly condemn Elida as Black Aja. Ramonda says, maybe Elida is black, though I have strong doubts, whatever secondhand gossip that Trollopalima has brought. Elida is wrongheaded to a fault, but I cannot believe her evil. And also, we should interrogate everybody. (laughs) (laughs) She says to Lelaine, I'll be the first to submit to my methods if you'll be the second. Lelaine growls and looks ready to throw down. And then Swan runs up in a straw hat, which is a fun image. I just like that <laughs> with a leading a horse. Egoine says, well, when you decide what I'm supposed to say, then I can decide what to do, which is kind of a shock to them. Like they forgot she was there for a second. Uh, and then she walks out of their like their ward against listening and breaks it. So uh, Egoine, Swan, Myrell, and Bryn head out through the soldiers camp. Some of the soldiers shout, the bull, the bull. Nobody shouts Amerlin or anything. That would be a weird thing to shout. Amerlin! I don't know. Like, <laughs> I said I! Weird. It's like, you know, Avengers Assemble versus Justice League. Everybody, let's go! Uh, it's <laughs> like, Justice League! It doesn't really work. They don't have a thing. Egwene is riding a massive warhorse named Daishar, or Glory in the old tongue, and she misses Bella. Asks if Bryn expects any opposition. He says, nah, this is Murandy. Everybody is too busy fighting each other to worry about us. Andor might be a different matter. And Egwene asks, what do you plan to do when we reach Tarvalin? He says, well, hopefully I'll have two or three times as many men by then, and I'll lay siege. Myrell's like, hold up, siege? Do you expect us to wait 20 years to get rid of Elida? Bren says, well, there's the minor detail that no one has ever breached Tarvalin's walls, (laughs) um, which Egwene knows isn't strictly true, but only time it's been happened has been sealed in the secret histories of the tower library so bryn says siege it is y'all agreed to let me handle the army stuff and i won't throw men away for nothing and Egwene says what is it you wanted me to see bryn says yeah better see for yourself Ooh! <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna unintentionally leave our podcast on a cliffhanger in the middle of this log here <laughs> heck of a cliffhanger too <laughs> i'm not a huge fan of cinema sins because i feel like it's just nitpicky most of the time but yeah. one of the one of the things that he really harps on that i i totally think is unfair is the you're gonna want to see this for yourself cliche sure, sure. um which is which is a cliche, yeah. but it's also yeah. trying to show and not just tell. Yeah, when- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like it'd be it'd be hard to like 
not write yourself into a place where you just have to deliver the action via exposition at that point. Right. And so precisely. Yeah. We are going to leave you guys with a bit of a cliffhanger, but you know, you can read the book yourself. So <laughs> um, it's not like uh, we're, we're the um, only ones that uh, have this information. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're just out uh, of time and we're going to come back next week and try. Again. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to catch us next time. You can always catch up with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at podcast TSM. You can also visit our website at tsmpodcast.com, fill out our contact form, say, some stuff to us and we'll respond to it in a upcoming show update at some point and until next time ty sharman etherin